out lawsuits and litigation cases. And from what I've heard, the vast majority of those cases they've settled out is over $100,000 an acre. So again, it's not in anybody's interest to want to see these scenarios settled out in court and landowners having to be bought out at hundreds of thousand dollars an acre. I got to do a station ID. Uh, folks, uh, you're listening to KPFT Houston. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Uh, I want to interrupt again uh, our great conversation with Bill to let you know that we only have one contribution at this time. And, and we're going to go a little bit over as we did yesterday, but we do need your calls in. Bill, if, 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 if your time is up, it's fine, but uh, we're going to go about 20 minutes uh, over uh, to continue. But if you got to go, it's understandable. Uh, it's okay? All right. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Thank you. 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738, extension number one. Folks, we need your support. Uh, we only have one contribution. While my quota is $400 every day, uh, I need to pull in about $500 more to cover for some uh, missing yesterday. So let's throw it to Sandy. Sandy, come on in. Sandy? Thank you, Egg Okay. <laughs> yeah, great. Learn how to unmute, unmute in this world. Hey, uh, thank you for this fascinating conversation again. As Egberto said, we cannot do this alone. Folks, I know there are thousands of you listening right now. There's a bunch of you online. I'm looking for someone to break the ice here. We do need about another $400 this morning, $350 anyway to make us whole. Be that person that takes action. Don't sit idly. You know, we're talking about abandoned oil wells. We're talking about things where nobody took action. They just said, let them be. We're done with them. We pumped the oil out of the ground. They're not flowing. Just cap them and let them be. And we're not going to worry about it. If you leave KPFT alone too long, it won't be here. It's that simple. We rely on you. We rely on the listeners to fund the station. Sure, we get a little bit from underwriting. And yes, we have a few dollars in grant money, but all that total is less, less than 5% of our revenue needs. It comes from the listeners. It comes from you. So please make that call. 713-526-5738. contribution gets you the Caroline Coffee Combo, a pound of beans and a coffee mug. $100 gets you a really cool Politics Done Right t-shirt. Whatever it is you take away as a thank you, remember the biggest thank you of all is having this station, having this platform, having this very conversation we're having this morning. What's happening now is you're getting educated about what's going on on the highway as you drive by right next to you. Very, very dangerous condition. These underground capped wells that may be leaking into aquifers, you need to know about it. And KPFT is here, so you can hear about it. Good luck on the commercial stations because they're brought to you by the same people that don't want to clean it up necessarily. Not all, but some. Back to you, Egberto. Thank you very much, Sandy. Uh, look, folks, uh, Bill Birch, uh, the information that he's given us is invaluable. And, you know, something that that he touched on that I think uh, should I think our phone should be screaming now at 713-526-573. And let me tell you why. He just told you something. You've been screaming inflation on your on your insurance bill. That's what you've been screaming as if 
the inflation was caused by the economic, the natural economics. That's what Bill just taught you was that there is a direct group of folks responsible for your increased home owner's insurance. Those people that didn't winterize those gas pipes, those people that didn't, your government that didn't do the job, would you have known that uh, widely if we didn't have Bill Birch giving us this info, if we didn't have Bill Birch making sure that, uh, you know, hey, I, I want to serve. I want to go out there and serve to make sure that this information is out there and that you know what's in your best interest. 713-526-5738, extension 1. Folks, we need your support. Please do it now. Remember to select Politics Done Right as the program you're supporting. 713-526-5738. Come on, let's go. $5 a month. Uh, a coffee a month, $10 a month, two coffees a month, $15 a month, three coffees a month. You know, Sandy just said, oh, we uh, uh, $350 makes us whole. $350 makes us whole for today. I am not whole for the entire drive. Uh, let's bring folks in. Hey, you want to go and sit down and have coffee? We can go discuss a lot of this other stuff that, you know, we talk economics, we talk politics, we talk a lot of issues here. 713-526-5738. Coffee with Egberto, 250. Hey, two people give 250. I'm done, man. I'm done for the day. So can we have that? 713-526-5738, extension number one. Bill, let me go ahead and sort of close out this way. Um, let's say you are honored by the state of Texas to be elected. How are you going to go in as a team? Because everything takes a team. There's no politics done right without a team. There's none of the, all these things have a team. How are you, how would you actually get that done? So there's two things in particular in my mind that I really want to address. One is transparency and truly getting the issues on the table with where the state currently is, where the, where the pinch points are and where's the difficulty and where do you get that information? is from the 12 districts and the people on the ground. Those are the team that, as a commissioner, I'm supporting. This is like when you own a restaurant, you know, the, the, the owner of the restaurant still has to be even the bar back sometimes to help out the team. And what I see in the scenario of where we're at in the Railroad Commission is that we have three commissioners who don't even have coveralls, who can't put on work boots and actually go out in the field, let alone even knowing if they did what they were even looking at. So one of my biggest things I want to do is go out with the inspectors, see where their issues are, where are the issues we need to have improvement? What do they need to do their job better? What are the administrative staff struggling with to get sorted out? What are the things with the filing system that sucks? What are the things that we need to do to improve our system and make the Railroad Commission more efficient? Because again, I hear from midstream operators and operate and uh, upstream operators about the permitting process and how things are, are slow and antiquated and not done correctly. So there has to be opportunities for improvement to make the system better. And I certainly want to see it from our staff side, because, again, we have such a limited staff. Unfortunately, I can't do direct hiring, but I would certainly advocate for increasing. And I've ad I have advocated on the campaign trail for a minimum of at least two inspectors per county in the state of Texas to give the opportunity at least to help fight the ability to get more inspection and be able to respond faster to landowners and, and be able to oversee our drilling and our work over industry to make sure that the regulations are being followed. 
And again, it also comes down to training. What do the folks need to do their job more efficiently? What tools and resources do they need? So I think as a Texas Railroad Commissioner, your goal is to truly not just sit in Austin in the ivory tower and go to monthly meetings and look good on television. It really is about doing the work. And that's where I criticize the vast majority of our government is that, you know, I'm not a politician. I'm an engineer by heart. I want to see the problems. I want to, I want to identify the problems. I want to be able to quantify and measure the scale and issues and make sure we're tackling the right problems. And then I want to actually get out and get the resources to actually make it happen. So I think as a Texas Railroad Commissioner, a lot of people say, oh, we don't need another engineer. I, I disagree with that opinion. I think you really do need somebody at the Texas Railroad Commission who has the operational experience, the technical knowledge, and the academic background to actually be able to work with one of the most complex technical industries in the state of Texas. And I say to folks all the time, you know, to be a DA, a district attorney, you have to be an attorney in the first place. To be a judge, you have to be an attorney. But you have to understand the law. You actually have to have background in the the, the area of practice in which you want to be a work in, right? But yet in the Texas Railroad Commission, we're happy to hire Grammy award-winning gospel singers who have never stepped foot on a drilling rig in their entire career. That's one of our current commissioners. Wow. Again, we've well, got to address the issue that this has to be an agency that works for the people of Texas. And it's the agency that really is the arbitrator. It's not supposed to just solely rec- solely, solely promote the oil and gas industry. Its objective is to be the arbitrator between landowners, surface owners, mineral rights owners, and the um, the operators themselves to make sure that all parties are working mutually under the law and are respecting and, and enforcing the law. Hey, thank you, Bill Birch. I got to go do some more pitching before we close out here. So I'm going to let you go. But beforehand, I want to give you the opportunity to tell folks how they can find you. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity this morning. I'm Bill Birch, the 2024 Democratic candidate for the Texas Railroad Commission. Uh, you can find more information about me on my website at Birch, B-U-R-C-H, board, the number four, T-R-R-C dot com. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, of course. And I am happy to answer any of your questions and direct messaging. Don't ever hesitate. Uh, you can email me at info at Birch dot com. Uh, anytime you like. And uh, I'm always available. I know sometimes people are a little hesitant to get on air or ask questions directly in in public, but I'm always happy to answer it in private. And uh, don't ever hesitate to reach out. I'm glad to help. And my goal is to educate people on one of the most important races in the state of Texas, which is the Texas Rare Commission, number four on your ballot, the only executive position up for election this election cycle. And uh, it is something that uh, it's the worst named agency. It's the worst run agency. And it is legitimately the most powerful agency in the state of Texas. And we need to have a Democrat that helps enforce the rules. And it's not about changing the rules. It's about enforcement of the rules and improving our environmental stewardship while we continue to produce energy in the great state of Texas. So thank you again this morning for the opportunity. And I appreciate it, sir. Bill Birch, let me tell you, it's been a pleasure. And I I thank you for being in the hotel, then getting out to your car, having your dog actually very quiet as you're able to give this interview. The man is on the road 24-7 promoting good uh, good stuff, making sure we are informed. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics and Right, my friend. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Folks, that's Bill Birch. Uh, thank you so kindly. Anyway, folks, we got to do some pitching here to get some money. So, folks, those of you who were so enthralled with the conversation that you didn't want to go to make that telephone call, you can do it now. Bill Birch is now gone. So there's nothing more that we're going to talk on that issue specifically other than me bloviating. But please, again, well, I don't bloviate. I narrate. But anyhow, um, 
please give us a call at 713-526-5738. 713-526-5738. Folks, we just learned a lot. A lot. Your insurance, home insurance rates, that wasn't inflation. That was negligence. So let's get things right. Let's understand things right. That super high insurance rate is negligence. The increase in price of your electricity right now is recovering from the damage that occurred during the freeze and you're paying for it now. Think about it this way. That's all of your, that is a tax that you're paying because of what our government did in not regulating these industries. Welcome aboard, Paul Fleming, Eric Hayes. Thank you for being here. Remember that, folks. We have to we have to know the truth so that we can do the right thing. He's gone now, Bill Birch. Uh 713-526-5738, extension number one to contribute. Could me could we get those those calls in now so I can start thanking you? Please remember to select politics done right as the program you're supporting, but please do it now. Uh Bill Birch is gone now. So I know a lot of people they don't want to call in because they're listening to the program. Now, the last six minutes of this program is pitching. And I need you to stay with me. I need you to call. I need you to support us to make sure we can do a lot more of what we're doing, uh, as bringing in the knowledge from people who know, who won't ill-inform you, misinform you, disinform you. 713-526-5738, extension number one. If Sandy is right there to help me out, I'd like to pass it to Sandy, but I know that he's in studio. Sandy, are you there? I'm right here. Yes. Hey, Thank you, brother. brother. Yeah. Very good show today. Very informative. Thanks to your guest. And thanks to Joe, who Joe Oil, who chimed in with a donation. He's done that before this drive. We really appreciate it. We're looking for you. If you have not given this drive, it's today and tomorrow, and then it's over. And if you're thinking, ooh, I just got to bob and weave for another couple days and they'll be done and they won't be asking me for more money or me for money for the first time, they won't be doing it. It'll just be the programming, and I can sit back and just listen to that programming and not worry about feeling the slightest bit guilty about what everybody else has done so that I can continue listening. Is that you? Are you that person? Are you capable of donating? If you have the wherewithal, the economic wherewithal, the means, come on, join in. This is community radio. That means everybody that listens should share in the cost of operation, which is $52,000 a month, and that's with one employee. That's it. It used to be years ago that half our budget was for personnel and half for the operational cost of the station. Now, our budget is constructed such that about 90, over 90% are operational costs, and the little bit that remains are there to support Howard and a couple of other um very minor but very essential contract positions at an embarrassingly low minimum wage status. 713-526-5738. Come on, we're running out of time this morning. We're running out of time on this drive, and we still got a ways to go. Do not be silent. Please take action. If you're an activist, prove it. Call us. 713-526-5738. 5738. If you've thought about being an activist, call us. If you're not an activist, call us anyway because you enjoy it. 
713-526-5738 or kpft.org. Take a thank you gift, maybe the coffee in the cup, maybe a t-shirt, maybe some concert tickets, you know, whatever it is that you can do. And again, join on a sustainer basis. We've yet to have one sustainer join today. Come on, somebody at $5 a month, break the ice. 713-526-5738. Egberto, we got about five minutes, and then you got but one yes. day left in fun drive. You're going to be done tomorrow. What do you say about that? Yeah, we, we need you. 713-526-5738, extension number one. Please, $10 a month for a, uh, you don't feel it, two coffees a month, folks. $5 a month, one coffee a month. You can do it. I know you want to. I know you can. Again, think about what we are bringing. Please think about what we're bringing, the important issues that we are. We have just a little bit of time left, so I'm going to ask Johnny, the mayor of politics and right, to be real quick. Come on in, Johnny. Advisory for Sandy. Sandy? Yeah, Sandy, are you I'm there? Here. Hey, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> What's up, Johnny? Now. No, I'm here. No, I know. You're here. But Bill Birch, he's gone now. Yep. It's okay to pitch for Yes. Bill Birch is gone now. Yes, he is gone. I know. I just told you. <laughs> Have a good day. <laughs> okay, so pitch, Johnny, pitch. I think uh, he's Johnny's, gone. Yeah, he's gone. He's, he's gone, too. <laughs> yeah, he oh, wanted to tell yeah. us that Bill was gone. He had, a, he had a question for Bill, I think. But, uh, Bill, oh, Bill okay, got it, got it. So, All look, right, we've folks, got about three, three, three minutes left. We're going to go to democracy now. Come on. Let's see a couple pledges come in. Even if after democracy now fades up here in a minute or two, we'll tag it to this show. If you put that in the comment column, please, folks, don't leave this untended. 713-526-5738. We do need your support. And you see, folks, we do the job. We do the work. We invest the time. And, you know, all of this is on a volunteer basis. And the support for this station is on a volunteer basis. When you get CNN, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, you don't get those on a volunteer basis. You pay your cable rate to get it. You must pay to see it. We simply ask those who can afford to, to please support what we're doing. Please support what we're doing, not just for us, but for all of us, for you. That information that you, we brought you from Bill Birch could, is some of the most important information we have brought on this show. To know that many of you are living off of groundwater, and your groundwater a lot of it is not tested right now. With all the wells, the over 1.2 million wells around Texas, many leaching into the groundwater. There's a lot that you need to know. The cancers that are propping up all over where they never used to. Is it your groundwater? We don't know. But we want to make sure that we have information so that we can make knowledgeable ops. So, folks, please give us a call to ensure we can continue doing this. For those of you who hear this spiel already, I get it. But please make that call. We need you right now. 713-526-5738, extension number one. Be sure to select Politics and Right as your choice. Let me run down real quick. I only got a minute. Let me run down real quick. $5 a month, a coffee a month, $10 a month, a 
two coffees a month. The t-shirt is $100. Coffee with Egberto, $250. Uh, we've already had two that we're going for. I can do this any part of Harris County. I will get to you, my brothers and my sisters. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you, Howard. Thank you, Bill Birch. Thank you, callers. Thank you, everybody. Love you all. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this, baby. Well, before I end it, Howard, is there anything you want to close out with? Not a word. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out. We now join Democracy Now! in progress on KPFT Houston. As, as the boundaries of boundary of the possible. You've got to move towards an immediate and permanent ceasefire and an end to this carnage. Free all the hostages, free political prisoners uh, among the Palestinians, including leading longtime prisoners who, if you, if you don't like Hamas, free Marwan Barghouti, who's been in prison for so long, who many Palestinians might support to change the situation there. So we really need actual change in policy, and I think we sent that message strongly last night. Uh, uh, Andy Levin, I wanted to ask you, uh, I was particularly struck by the turnout. The Michigan Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, said that this was a record turnout on Tuesday for a presidential primary, uh, compared to, for instance, South Carolina, where only 4% of Democrats uh, uh, voted in the primary. Here we had over, uh, it looks like 50%. Uh, could you explain this issue of turnout as well? Well, one thing is that there were more, quite a greater number of Republicans voting or people voting in the Republican primary than the Democratic primary. That's also something that's not great for President Biden. But there was some sense of a contest on that side, right? Even though we all know that Nikki Haley was going to trail by a wide margin. But it is remarkable, Juan. Think about it. We have an incumbent Democratic president running for re-election. We all know he's going to be the nominee. Most Democrats feel like maybe he's done a really great job in other areas. Uh, personally, I was really proud to serve with him in the 117th Congress. I'm proud of the Investing in America agenda that we passed, having some at least a semblance of industrial policy in America for the first time in many decades, and on and on. But... What's remarkable is that this 100,000-plus people who voted uncommitted, almost all of them, Juan, wouldn't have showed up but for this. No. They're mad no, at the president. Ahead. They would have stayed home. And our message was, wait a minute, that would be a disaster if you stayed home. He won't get the message. He won't understand. Come out and express your rage. Shake your fist at the president and say, look, for most of them, I voted for you. In 2020, I'm really mad at you right, right now, and I have to tell you. So that, I think, Jews turn out. And look at East Lansing, where Michigan State University is. Look at Ann Arbor, where the University of Michigan is. It's not just Dearborn and Hamtramck with our incredible, beautiful concentration of Arab American and other Muslim voters. It's also young people across the state and progressives across the state who said, we're your base we want to win in November. In order to win, we want peace now. Andy Levin, <clears throat> the last time we talked to you, you were a Congress member. You were running for re-election. 
AIPAC, the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, had invested millions in Democratic primaries to defeat progressives who supported Palestine. Uh, you were one of those they were trying to defeat. Um, you're a self-described Zionist who supports a two-state solution. But earlier, um, uh, before that primary, a former president of AIPAC described you as arguably the most corrosive member of Congress to the U.S.-Israel relationship. Um, can you talk about what happened to you then? You lost that election. Um, but do you see um, your point of view being embraced much—both um, uh, in Michigan and around the country in a way that um, APEC never imagined? I do, Amy. I mean, basically, they spent millions of dollars of dark money. They raised a huge amount of so-called hard money for my opponent in that primary, who basically towed the APAC line completely. And now they say they're going to spend $100 million in 2022, and evidently the, they've already raised $44 million to take out progressives and Democratic primaries. And much of their money is coming for, from Republican billionaires who don't have any place in a Democratic primary. And shame on us as Democrats if we continue to allow Democratic candidates to take Republican money in Democratic primaries. But here's the situation. This avalanche of mostly dark money coming to try to interfere with Democratic primaries is running into a tsunami of upset by Democratic-based voters who say the, the Jewish people deserve self-determination. What about the Palestinian people? And in fact, there is no peace and security for the Jewish people in the Holy Land unless and until we realize the political and human rights of the Palestinian people. And we have to love each other. We have to support each other. We have to find a way to live together. And yes, uh, th this is a huge rebuke to that point of view that we must support the Israeli government no matter what they do. I mean, why are we letting Bibi Netanyahu set the boundary of the possible? This man has never been for a just peace for one day in his life. He's actively opposed Palestinian self-determination his whole career. Like some other people we know, he's fighting to stay in office so that he doesn't go to jail. I mean, come on. You can support the people of Israel and the people of Palestine without supporting these horrible policies and this horrible war. I mean, you know, think of the average. I think of myself, Amy, 40 years ago when I was a college student. And if I read what the New York Times reported, for example, that the U.S. was supplying 2,000 pound bombs to Israel and the IDF was dropping them not just on densely populated areas, but on places where they had told the Palestinians to flee. And then at the end of the article, by the way, we've sent 5,000 more of one type of 2,000-pound bombs to Israel since October. That Andy Levin of 40 years ago is not unlike college students and other young people all around Michigan's campuses and working people saying, whoa, this is unacceptable. And we showed the president that we don't accept it yesterday. Yeah, I'd like to bring in uh, James Zogby to the conversation, uh, get your reaction to the 
to the vote uh, in Michigan and also uh, whether you think that uh, this uncommitted movement could spread across the country, especially now as we head into Super Tuesday on March 5th? Well, look, number one, I want to thank Andy Levin for his leadership. Uh, he was made an enormous difference here, and we're we're so pleased uh, to be partnering uh, as as we were in this uh, in this campaign. Uh, secondly, uh, I think message sent a hundred plus thousand uncommitted votes, much larger than anyone anticipated, uh, makes a point. President Biden, you ignore this vote at your risk. Um, and thirdly, I think uh, there frankly is not a need to go any further. And I think that the, it's very clear we can extrapolate from the rest of the states um, what the the turnout would be um, in November if we ignore uh, this issue and continue to ignore this issue, not only as as the congressman said with the Arab American vote, but with young voters, black voters. We've done polling. My brother John has done polling on this. Uh, among American voters, not just Arab American voters, the, the 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 impact that the Gaza war is having on voters under 29, the impact it's having on black, Latino and Asian voters who are core to the Democratic coalition is very clear. We just wanted to make a point in Michigan. It was it was the place to make the point. But frankly, it also can be read in Virginia. It can be read in Georgia. It can be read in Pennsylvania. Um, you ignore this war and you continue to offer nothing but anodyne. Uh, well, we're really with you and we feel bad, too. And uh, we're paying attention and working every day. That does not cut it at this point. There is genocide unfolding. People want it to end. Um, the president either is going to have to act decisively to end it or it's going to have an impact in November. And as the congressman said, as, as the organizers of this movement have been very clear, this is not the abandoned Biden movement. This is the for God's sake, shape up or you might lose in November Biden movement. And the, the fact is, is that the president has to listen and change. Um, it's, it's going to be too late for some. Uh, the fact that 30,000 have already died, that famine is on the way, that genocide has continued uh, is going to mean a lot of people are going to say, I can't do this. I just can't do it. But if there's to be any effort at all made to bring some voters back, something dramatic has to happen and change from the White House to say, let's give them another shot. But frankly, right now we're having trouble finding that message. And I think Michigan sends a very strong signal that doesn't have to be repeated anywhere else. Look, when I saw the Emerson College poll out the day before uh, this vote, I said message sent. They had 11 percent. We got a little, you know, we did, we did a little better than that. Um, they said youth vote was voting uncommitted. We did that. We showed that in college towns across the street. We won uncommitted one in Dearborn, it beat Joe Biden. Uncommitted one in Hantramic, it beat Joe Biden. Those are the two concentrations of Arab American voters. Um, the president needs to pay attention, and and I hope he does. And I, I you know, and, and I hope he does in a way that is decisive and clear, and actually turns the corner. And James Hockby, of course, in Michigan, the participation of elected officials like Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib and other local Michigan officials did have an impact on that vote. Do you see other Democratic Party officials in other states following that lead? 
Well, look, we've already seen city councils in 70 cities do this. Um, and th- that number is growing. Uh, there is it, not just among uh, Arab American, like, I, you know, we saw a lot of that in Michigan. We also saw black officials. We saw progressive Jewish officials. And uh, as important as Rashida was, Andy Levin was an important message sender here that this is a broader movement for justice. And let's not forget that city councilwoman in Detroit came out just a couple days before the vote saying, I'm with uncommitted. That's important. Uh, having black elected officials, Arab American elected officials, progressive Jewish elected officials saying, we want this to end and we want President Biden to make a difference. That's important. And so, yeah, I think this is going to have a, 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 a sort of a, an effect across the country. Um, and we don't need to do it in other states. We just don't because the message is very clear. Number one, you don't win Michigan. There's no way to create an electoral map that you win the you win in November. But number two, we can extrapolate what happens in Michigan and say, hmm, it's going to happen in Virginia. It's going to happen in Georgia. You're going to lose youth vote, black vote, Arab American vote, and you don't win Pennsylvania if that's the case. So I think, you know, I've been doing this for a long, long time. And uh, and I know that these voter groups have to have a reason to turn out. I think what was important about this and Congressman, I thank you and, and others for it, was that you gave people a reason to turn out. These uncommitted voters would not have turned out and they would not turn out again in November if they didn't have a reason to turn out. We gave them a reason with uncommitted. Joe Biden's got to give them a reason in November. And talk, Jim Zogby, about the other states. Uh, Talk about Minnesota and other states who are now apparently adopting this uncommitted uh, vote. But in Michigan, what's different, right, is it's actually printed on the ballot. And I think you can also add, I mean, most people didn't, they talked about Dean Phillips, uh, but Marion Williamson, who suspended her campaign, came in third, and she was the one Democrat for a ceasefire. So you could probably add her votes to the uncommitted votes. For example, uh, the Arab community said, let's back Marianne Williamson, even though she dropped out because she's on the ballot and there is no other option. Look, let let me say, I'm not going to discourage anybody from trying to do it in other states. I just, like I said, I don't think you need to. And I I would rather have energy focused on city council resolutions and getting people to sign on to ceasefire uh, resolutions across the board. Um, There is a um, I I did the Palestine statehood resolutions in uh, 1988 with Jesse Jackson. We passed them in 11 states. We got to the national convention, had the first ever uh, debate from the podium on a minority plank. After that, everybody continued doing it. But without Jesse in the mix, we never had the, the, the momentum to carry it through. We had a a number of ideal things come together in Michigan, a huge concentration of Arab Americans, the support of elected officials, local elected officials, mayors, state reps, et cetera, city council people. We also had Congressman Levin, who was great on college campuses in terms of mobilizing and bringing people forward, and a great collection of organizers and a budget to make it happen. We're not going to have that in Minnesota. We're not going to have that in other states. And so I don't want to see people set up for failure. And so I think you take what happened in Michigan, you extrapolate it to your state, you send the message to President Biden, it happened here, it can happen elsewhere. There's no need to try to replicate what can't be 
automatically replicated, given the ideal com composition of forces in Michigan that made this happen. Um, and so I, I, I frankly think I don't know what's going to happen in other states, but I don't want to take a defeat in Minnesota because it's not even on the damn ballot and say, oh, look, it's it's and give the other side a crowing. Right. They're going to try whatever they can do to crow and say, we really didn't. They didn't accomplish anything because uh, uh, the 81 percent still voted for Joe Biden. Well, of course, 81 voted for Joe Biden. But that's not going to mean November, uh, because in the Emerson poll, Joe Biden's losing by two points. 11% uncommitted and Joe Biden loses by two points. Hmm. Does that DMFI, Democratic Majority for Israel, don't you get what that means? That means that you need that 11% to come to your side in order to put you over the top. Um, that we can we can say that in every state without having to go through this whole process, especially when it's not even on the ballot and you can't really get the same outcome you get in Michigan. We're going to end with Andy Levin. Um, you come from a political dynasty. Your uncle was the um, uh, late senator who headed the Armed Services Committee, Carl Levin, I'm sure a close friend of uh, President Biden, uh, your father, uh, congressman as well, Sandy Levin. What do you think they would say at this point about this movement, about this demand and grassroots organizing? Well, Amy, Uncle Carl passed away, as you know, several years ago. My dad is 92 and going strong. And he is really proud of what I'm doing. Uh, he, you know, was involved in helping Soviet Jews flee to Israel. He, you know, he's supported uh, U.S. policy uh, for a two-state solution forever. But I think he understands that there is no way now after 50 uh, four years of occupation and things going in the wrong direction, there's no way forward unless the president of the United States steps up and leads much more strongly as a peacemaker. And look, I'm going to end on a hopeful note. Joe Biden, with this long history as chair of chairing the Foreign Relations Committee in the Senate, and he, you know, every what he says, he's known all the Israeli leaders, all the Palestinian leaders. You've got to step up, Mr. President, and now end this carnage and lead a diplomatic effort, not a military effort, to end this conflict. It can be done. You've got to step up and do it, both because it's the right thing to do and because your politics depend on it. As Jim Zogby said, the other states are fine. Michigan is a must-win state. Minnesota isn't, you know, for example. Uh, he's going to win Minnesota anyway, I think. But you've got to win Michigan to put the Electoral College math together. And I think it's just going to be hard to do unless you change course. So let's get going. Well, clearly, President Biden's hearing people. Um, when he was with Seth Meyers the other night, the late night comic in an ice cream store, as he was licking his mint chip ice cream, a reporter asked a question about a ceasefire. And he said, yes, he thinks it's going to happen on Monday. That surprised both Israel and Hamas. Uh, we'll see what happens. But it was on the eve of the Michigan primary that he said that. Andy Levin, I want to thank you for being with us. Former Democratic Congress member from Michigan. 
Michigan, and James Ogby, president of the Arab American Institute. When we come back, we look at the death of Aaron Bushnell, the active-duty member of the U.S. Air Force who set himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C., to protest U.S. support for the war in Gaza. Stay with us. Good morning, KPFT listeners. This is Interim General Manager Sandy Wyman with a few thank yous. Uh, when politics done right went off the air, we were a little short of the goal, but that situation has been remedied because four folks called in to support the program. Gabriella C. from Sugarland called in with a sustaining pledge. We thank you. Your pledge is going to be matched with the $50 bill, Gabriella, and your name is going to go in the hat for a drawing for the final pair of Jesse Dayton Lyle Lovett tickets on April 20th at Anderson Fair. Your support's super welcome. Thank you. Also to Catherine S. and Katie, who also joined in as a sustainer. Thank you very much for that acknowledgement of politics done right. And she left a comment for the greater good. Yes, for the greater good. As long as we have dialogue, as long as we have the freedom to create it's uh, it's a wonderful thing. Politics done right again, where I can find HD radio. Where can I find an HD radio? Well, it's right on your phone, Duke. Duke Z from Houston made a pledge toward the program. Go to kpft.org and listen now, and you will find our HD signal right there. So Duke also donated again to Politics Done Right, a very healthy, sustaining pledge got himself both the Caroline 4504 Caroline t-shirt and the new logo t-shirt. So Duke, you're going to be one well-dressed person walking around. We appreciate it. 713-526-5738, the final Wednesday of our winter fun drive. We're in headlong dash mode toward the finish line. We've still got a ways to go, but every pledge counts, and we want to get as close to the overall $150,000 goal as we can possibly get in these two days. So join in, won't you? Back to Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman on KPFT Houston. Live streaming service Twitch with a caption that read, quote, many of us like to ask ourselves, what would I do if I was alive during slavery, or the Jim Crow South, or apartheid? What would I do if my country was committing genocide? The answer is, you're doing it right now," he wrote. Aaron Bushnell then sent a copy of his will that he had prepared days before to a friend. In it, he gave his cat to his neighbor to be cared for. A few hours later, shortly before 1 p.m. local time, Aaron Bushnell walked towards the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C., wearing his Air Force uniform. He began the live stream on his phone and spoke as he approached the embassy gates. I'm an active duty member of the United States Air Force, and I will no longer be complicit in genocide. I'm about to engage in an extreme act of protest, but compared to what people have been experiencing in Palestine at the hands of their colonizers, it's not extreme at all. This is what our ruling class has decided will be normal. Aaron Bushnell then placed his phone on the ground, stood in front of the Israeli embassy gate, 
and doused himself in the liquid before setting himself on fire. He shouted, Free Palestine, several times as he was consumed by the flames. Those were his last words. An officer who arrived on the scene can be seen brandishing a gun and pointing it at Aaron Bushnell as he burns alive and collapses to the ground. Another officer sprays him with a fire extinguisher. As the first officer continues to point his gun at Aaron, the second officer yells, quote, I don't need guns. I need a fire extinguisher. Aaron Bushnell was taken to a nearby hospital and pronounced dead several hours later. His extreme act of protest against Israel's assault on Gaza made headlines around the world. Vigils have been held in his honor in Washington, D.C., here in New York, and San Antonio, Texas, and Portland, and elsewhere. Ali Abu Nima, the founder of the Electronic Intifada, wrote on social media, quote, Aaron Bushnell gave his life so that America would hear his message and the genocide. He kept calling free Palestine through intense, horrifying pain. He gave his life so people in Gaza might live. There's no greater love than that. I feel sadness and awe for this human being, Ali wrote. For more, we're joined by two guests. Anne Wright is a 29-year U.S. Army, Army Reserves veteran, who retired as a colonel and a former U.S. diplomat in March of 2003, she resigned. She has since worked with the anti-war groups Code Pink and Veterans for Peace. She is co-author of Dissent, Voices of Conscience. Her new essay for Common Dreams is headlined, Why Would Anyone Kill Themselves to Stop a War? On Aaron Bushnell and others. She's joining us from Hawaii. She resigned in 2003 over the war in Iraq. And joining us from Southfield, Michigan, is Levi Pierpoint, who was a friend of Aaron Bushnell. They met at basic training at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas, in May 2020. Levi went on to become a conscientious objector. We welcome you both to Democracy Now! Um, this is a very difficult segment to do. Levi, we want to begin with you. You were a friend of Aaron. Tell us about him, and then tell us when you learned what had happened. Um, tell us about how you met, your decision to become a conscientious objector. He stayed in the military. And what you then understand uh, took place this weekend. Yes, so I met Aaron Bushnell in basic training. And from the first day that I met him, I, I could tell that he was just a really sweet person. Um, I could tell very quickly that he had a strong sense of justice. We became friends, and um, whenever people in basic training would, would talk about me or would talk about him, we would stick up for each other, and he always stuck up for me. And I did end up getting out as a conscientious objector, and we spoke throughout that process. And at the time that, that I began to make headway with the process and it began to near its end, uh, I got out in July of 2023. He felt like he was already close enough to his own um, end date that, that he decided not to take the same path. And I understood that because the conscientious objector process can take over a year. And so... I knew that he was still in, and then he went to do Skillbridge at Ohio, and that's when I met him in Toledo 
on January 5th. And that was the first time I'd seen him since basic training, and it was unfortunately the last time I saw him. And, and of course, you know, the other day I, I heard what had happened, so. And our deepest condolences to you, by the way, Levi. When you heard, did you first hear that a man had self-immolated and then hear that it was Aaron? Yes. So I had just seen the headlines. I don't think I had even clicked one and, and read anything yet. And yeah, um, Monday, Monday, a friend of mine reached out to me and she knew that I had been a conscientious objector, knew that I had been in the Air Force and knew that just the story in general might be difficult for me. She had no idea that I knew him. And she was the one who ultimately texted me his name. And I just immediately broke down and called her. And, and I said, that was my friend. I went to basic training with him. And she comforted me. And, and I just thought about all the conversations we'd had. I went back to the last text message I got from him. And... And I just, I just weeped. And, and Levi, uh, in those conversations, did, uh, did you get a sense of why Aaron initially decided to join the military and how his views evolved about the, uh, the, the U.S. military? Yes, I know when we first talked, we shared similar, similar goals and interests in the military. We wanted to sort of get out of our bubble to explore the United States, to explore the world, to meet people from other backgrounds. And so I remember when we both found out where we were stationed, it, it was kind of ironic. I found out I'd be stationed in Minot Air Force Base, and he found out he was going to be going back to Lackland where we went, we went to basic training. And so we both felt like maybe we were going to explore a little bit less than we thought. But we were ready for our careers. And I know that over the years, um, both of us shifted, of course, in our beliefs regarding war, largely because of what we saw in the military, largely because of, of the things that we learned because we were a part of it. And I know that um, he and I both were encouraged by, by um, people on YouTube that were writing video essays about social justice movements in the United States. Uh, I'd like to bring in uh, Anne Wright to the conversation. Uh, this issue of uh, self-immolation, we've already had two now in protest of the war in Gaza, but you noted that uh, during the Vietnam War, as many as five Americans uh, self-immolated themselves in protest against the U.S. involvement in Vietnam. I'm wondering if you could talk about that. You wrote about that recently for Common Dreams. Yes, uh, it's a... It's a sad situation for sure. I mean, uh, our hearts go out to Aaron's family and Aaron's friends. Uh, and the same back in, you know, 60 years ago almost now, uh, in 1965, as the U.S. war on Vietnam was starting up, first we had an 82-year-old Quaker woman, Alice Hertz, committed suicide by self-immolation. And then followed about six months later by another Quaker, Norman Morrison, uh, from Baltimore, who went to the Pentagon and uh, set himself on fire, little knowing the place that he had picked at the Pentagon was right below where Secretary of Defense uh, McNamara had his office. And apparently his uh, self-immolation had uh, an um, 
a strong effect on McNamara, although he didn't stop the war initially, but it did have an effect uh, on him personally and on his family. And then followed uh, by a young man in Sandy, uh, first in, in New York at the UN Plaza. Uh, so yes, there were five people that that burned themselves to death over a political decision of the United States to go to war. And so now we have, uh, you know, 60 years later, we have two people in less than three months who have done the same, I would say, courageous act of taking their own lives to bring the attention of the American public and the world uh, to what the United States is complicit in, which is the Israeli genocide and U.S. genocide of the Palestinians in Gaza. I just want to go through a few more of those examples in history um, that sent shockwaves um, through multiple conflicts. You had Thich Quang Duc, a monk who drew attention to the treatment of Vietnamese Buddhists by the government. And then Mohammed Bouazizi in Tunisia, who sparked the Arab Spring when he set himself on fire. This was before Egypt, and that sparked the uprising in Tunisia. Maliki Richer, a musician who called for an end to the U.S. invasion of Iraq. A pro-Palestine protester also self-immolated outside the Israeli consulate in Atlanta in December, but we don't know her name. It hardly got um, any attention. And there's been a whole debate in the media right now. Um, those who talk about it as don't even want to talk. I mean, I think as it started when papers like The New York Times didn't even say he said free Palestine and other outlets as well. But then as time went on, they did talk about what happened. But the whole issue of uh, going into a debate about mental illness and not wanting to encourage something like this versus you hear someone like Ali. Abunima talking about Aaron's incredible bravery. Your thoughts? Well, it is incredibly brave. And a person, well, uh, there's no evidence at all that Aaron had any sort of, of uh, uh, mental illness. He was a, a very conscientious person who saw what the U.S. was doing in, in his position in the U.S. military. And one might say, you know, he's not the first person to have committed suicide over what the United States has been doing. If you look, 22 veterans a day commit suicide over what they've done in the U.S. military. So this is uh, what Aaron did was very, very courageous. I can't imagine, uh, you know, taking that step. Uh, it was it was an act of courage, an act of bravery to call attention to U.S. policies. Uh, Levi Pierpont, I wanted to ask you, you grew up as an evangelical Christian. Aaron Bushnell attended Catholic religious services while at basic training. How do you think his religious views uh, informed uh, uh, his uh, beliefs and, and ultimately his action? I think, I think ultimately, by the time that he did what he did, uh, he didn't identify with any particular religion, but I know that for me, even though, um, even though I'm more agnostic than I grew up, uh, my evangelical roots still influence me. They influence my sense of justice. And they, and they told me since I was a young child that you have to stand up for what you believe in. And I can imagine that it was the same way for Aaron. And so even though he 
I don't believe that he still believed in, in the Catholic faith by the time that he died. I know that that upbringing had a profound impact on him, and I'm sure that it influenced his sense of justice. Levi Pierpont, Aaron was spending, was living in San Antonio, where Lackland Base is. Um, he was doing a lot of um, uh, mutual aid work with people who were unsheltered there, uh, very well-known well in those encampments. Um, what do you want us to remember him by, as you think about him in these last few days, what you're talking about in the vigils and with your friends? I want people to remember that his death is not in vain, that he died to spotlight this message. I don't, I don't want anybody else to die this way. If he had asked me about this, I would have begged him not to. I would have done anything I could to stop him. But obviously we can't get him back and we have to honor the message that he left. I would have told him that this wasn't necessary to get the message out. I would have told him that there were other ways. But, but seeing the way that the media responds now, now that this has happened, it's hard not to feel like he was right, that this was exactly what was necessary to get people's attention about the genocide that's happening in Palestine. And so I just, I want people to remember his message. And, uh, Anne Wright, uh, your sense of how the movement here in this country to stop this genocidal uh, war in, in Gaza uh, has been building and what uh, Aaron Bushnell's sacrifice uh, may contribute to that? Well, it's a huge, huge movement, and the Biden administration must uh, recognize it, as your previous uh, guest uh, said. I mean, the, the voters are telling them a message. Uh, this is a massive, massive movement of youth, of of people of all religions that are saying by any religious uh, uh, teachings, this killing uh, is wrong. It has to end. And I would say to Levi, you know, we have Veterans for Peace and we have About Face, veterans organizations that would like to offer you support because this is tough, really tough. But we, it's for the people of Gaza, the people of Palestine, that we do this to stop these horrible, horrible policies that our country has right now. The killing of innocent people uh, for the United States and for Israel. It has to end and cease fire now. And I understand there is a Gaza flotilla being organized. We only have 30 seconds. Can you explain what that is? Yes, we need to take action. I mean, right now there's there's lots of talk. There are trucks that are stalled all over uh, northern Egypt and our Gaza flotilla movement. Uh, we are going to be doing something soon, and we will let you all know, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, as soon as we get the plans for uh, challenging again the Israeli naval blockade of Gaza. And do you know, Levi, as we have just 10, 15 seconds, would Aaron have described this as suicide? No, absolutely not. Explain. It was, he, he didn't have thoughts of suicide. 
He had thoughts of justice. That's what this was about. It wasn't about his life. It was about using his life to send a message. I want to thank you both so much for being with us. Levi Pierpont, dear friend of Aaron Bushnell, he, Levi, is a conscientious objector and Anne Wright, 20-year U.S. Army vet. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, KPFT listeners. This is Interim General Manager Sandy Wyman reminding you that we are—it's today is Wednesday, tomorrow is Thursday, and tomorrow is the end of our drive. So we are within 36 hours now or so of ending this winter marathon. Currently, we stand at 